Well, it will help if I turn my microphone on. <laughs> I started to say it's a pleasure to open God's word with you this morning, and it is, and a privilege. This weekend, we'll wrap up our brief sermon series entitled, Generous, God Has More for Me Than Just Me. Over the last two weeks, Pastor Allen has introduced us to the topic of biblical generosity and discussed the arena in which we most often engage this topic, namely the use of our finances. Well, today we want to consider two other important areas where God's word challenges us in this matter of generosity. Of course, I'm speaking of the ongoing stewardship of what may be our most valuable resource, our time, and also in the use of the gifts and talents with which each one of us has been blessed by God. But let's begin with a personal question. Have you ever been entrusted with something of great value by another person? Only to be left wondering if you were worthy of such a trust or capable of handling the responsibility that came with it. Maybe it was a valued possession in your family, an heirloom, the oversight of a family business, or as a brand new driver, the keys to your parents' car. Maybe it was even something more precious, like the care and oversight of another person. I'll never forget the day we brought our firstborn son home from the hospital. My wife and I laid our tiny preemie Derek in a bassinet in our family room, and we looked up at one another and in unison said, What the heck do we do now? (laughs) Derek was an awesome gift from God, an awesome responsibility. Neither of us was sure in that moment that we were up to the task of raising him. Then several years later, I tried to impress on my young son, then six years old, the value of family members embracing that responsibility of caring for one another. Unfortunately... My words that day came out in kind of a dopey, old-school dad way. Before I left on a business trip, I pulled Derek aside. I said, son, you're going to be the man of the house now. Look look after your mother and younger sister. (laughs) He was six years old. (laughs) Later... Later, my wife told me the only thing I impressed on Derek that day was an overwhelming sense of anxiety. (laughs) I don't want to be the man of the house, he cried to her later that day. It takes too much pressure. (laughs) Truth is, being entrusted with something of great value is not not a trifling thing. But consider what our Heavenly Father has entrusted to us individually and collectively, church. I'm reading now from the words of the Apostle Paul's recorded for us in his second letter to the Corinthians, starting in chapter 5, verse 17. Familiar verse. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. The gravity of this responsibility should be sobering, sobering to all of us in this room who follow Jesus. The God of all creation has entrusted his message of reconciliation in Christ to us. We're responsible for presenting Christ to a world filled with broken people separated from God. We're responsible for sharing with them how they too can enter into a life-transforming communion with his son, Jesus. God's work of ministry, his message of reconciliation has been entrusted to us. What will we do with that trust? Will we shrink back and whine, I don't want this responsibility, it takes too much pressure? Or will we embrace the unbelievable privilege and strive with all that's in us to excel in running every ministry errand given to us by God. Well, if it's the latter, we'll need to open-handedly offer not only our treasure, as we spoke of last week, but also our time and talents in the service of our King. For some, that might be a scary thought. You might ask, how, how do I even begin? Well, I'm happy to report that God didn't merely entrust us with a a daunting responsibility. He gave us a great team, the church. He gave us a playbook to help us faithfully carry it out. The title of today's message is The Local Church Ministry Playbook. Before we dive into the details of the playbook together, would you join your hearts with mine in prayer? Father, today we, <clears throat> we come and we just open ourselves to be taught by you, Spirit of the living God. Would you be present in this place? Lord, use my words and my lips. Prepare the hearts of your people that together we might receive your word and it might find in our hearts fertile soil to grow up and bear fruit. That's our prayer and we ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people say it. Amen. Amen. And as we consider how together we as a local church are to do the work of his ministry, may the Lord be with you. Well, every professional NFL team, like our own Pittsburgh Steelers, has a massive playbook to help assure that everyone on the team knows exactly what to do in every situation on the football field. Depending on the team, there could be anywhere from 250 to 1,000 different offensive plays alone in the playbook, each with many different variations to fit the needs of the moment. Is it any wonder that, especially during preseason, players sometimes carry decks of flashcards around with with them? I, I mean, think about multiplication tables in the fourth grade. They have flashcards to help them remember the the plays. Some even carry their playbook around with them in their pickup truck as they run errands about town. And if you didn't hear, hear, our our quarterback had his truck stolen the other day, and 
and nobody was worried about the truck. The problem was the playbook was in the truck. And of course, all these plays are designed to, t to help the team accomplish its mission. That is to win football games by carrying an oblong leather ball across a field of grass 100 yards long and pushing it over the goal line into what's called the end zone. Well, fortunately, as we read earlier, our, our mission as a local expression of Christ's church is nothing quite so complex. Why, all we have to do is carry God's message of reconciliation to an unbelieving world including not only the people in our own communities, but to all the peoples on earth. Knowing that, you might expect our playbook to look like an old hardbound set of Encyclopedia Britannica. So then it might surprise you to learn that the local church ministry playbook, as we find in Scripture, it, it has just a single offensive play, just one. Oh, sure, there might be some variations on that play now and then, and maybe some creative special teams plays the Lord has for us, but, but the basic play consists of just one play. No flashcards needed. And church, we get to run that play over and over and over again. You'd think we'll be experts, right? Well, our text today draws our attention to the play, and after a few words of explanation. We're going to diagram and dissect it in some detail. But first, would you take your Bibles and read with me from Paul's letter to a local church in the ancient city of Ephesus, where he wrote the following. And he, speaking of Christ, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. There it is, church. The local church ministry playbook. And the big idea for us today is simply this. Our ability to run that play will largely determine our success as a church in running the errands God has assigned to us. Now, you might be sitting there saying to yourself, Pastor, it's not obvious to me. I'm not sure I see a play in there at all. Well, we, as I said, we'll draw it up and break it down in just a moment. But first, let's define some terms so we're all on the same page. Let's make sure we're all speaking the same language. Starting from the bottom up, our goal is the building up of the body of Christ which is just a New Testament metaphor for the church. Colossians 1.18 says Jesus is the head of the body, the church. And how is the church built up? Well, Scripture gives us a beautiful picture of the earliest church in Jerusalem being built up in Acts chapter 2. There we read of the church post-Pentecost and their activities and and. The Bible says, and day by day, attending temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. See, the church being built up is a very holistic picture, isn't it? Built up spiritually, built up relationally 
built up numerically and built up in terms of impact in the community. All of that describes the building up of the body of Christ, the church. Well, still defining terms, what's the work of ministry? Well, let's say what it's not are just the formal activities associated with religious observance. Preaching in a worship service or conducting a funeral service or officiating at the Lord's table. They may be part of it, but that's not the whole thing. No, the word translated ministry could just as easily be rendered practical acts of service. Church, the work of, uh, the work of ministry is every act of service humbly offered in Jesus' name. Serving babies in the nursery is the work of ministry, or food in the cafe, volunteering with the kids' choir at Urban Impact, or helping clothe kids at the nest. They're all the work of ministry. The work of ministry includes every practical thing we do to serve the Lord and others in his name. Equipping, as in equipping the saints, is an interesting term. Literally means to bring something into a condition of fitness for its intended purpose. The ancient world, they might use that word to, to, in the context of mending a broken arm or mending a torn fishing net. It's the act, it's the work of making something fit for its intended use. And then we're equipping the saints. When Paul speaks of equipping the saints, who's he talking about? Well, many of you know that the Bible uses that word saints differently than we commonly use it today. Some of us come from faith backgrounds where the word saint is reserved for a special group of people marked by their heroic virtue who have had some miraculous event attributed to them. In a sense, to be named among the saints is to be considered part of a very exclusive holy club indeed. But Paul and other New Testament writers use the word saint very differently. Essentially in the scriptures, a saint is a holy person set apart for God's special purposes. Thanks be to God, brothers and sisters. That definition fits every person who has put their faith in Jesus and had their sins washed clean by the blood of the Lamb. That's why Paul in his writings addressed the whole church as the saints. If you, like me, are a follower of Jesus today, know this. The saints are us. If you know Jesus, you're a holy person, not because of who you are, but because of what Christ has done for you. And you've been called to a special purpose. You're an ambassador for Christ. You're a saint. When Paul talked about equipping the saints... He was talking about you and me. And finally, let's briefly speak to the five leadership roles mentioned in verse 11 as Christ's gift to the, Christ's gift to the church. First, please know that we could, we could spend our whole time today discussing any one of these offices, but that's not our purpose here today. Instead, the focus today is on the ministry of the local church. And only the last of these Last two of these five, the shepherds and teachers exercised their ministry primarily in a local setting among a single congregation. 
Other church leaders like the apostles in Paul's day exercised spiritual authority over the whole church, not just within a single congregation. And the prophets and evangelists typically moved about from church to church to fulfill their, pro- their purpose. The prophets as foretellers of God's word in that moment and the evangelists as bringers of the good news of Jesus to the unbelieving. Which leads us back to the local church leaders, the shepherds and teachers. Many of your Bible translation use the word pastors in place of shepherds, but don't let that concern you. The original Greek word there is literally means shepherd, but its Latin counterpart is translated as our word pastor. Both mean the same thing. Jesus called himself the good shepherd. John 10, 11. And the writer of Hebrews took it a step further, referring to Jesus as the great shepherd of the sheep, Hebrews 13. So pastors in a local congregation are called to be the shepherds of that congregation, serving under the headship and the lordship of the great shepherd of all God's sheep, the Lord Jesus. So enough talk. Let's bring out the one play in our local church ministry handbook. And let's diagram it here for us. First, notice I'm focused on the, focused on the local church ministry here. Beginning in Jesus gave the, the, the shepherds or pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. All right. Let's take a look at this. He gave the pastors and teachers to do what? Conduct services each weekend. No. To do what? To equip the saints, right? What's the assignment of the pastors and teachers? To equip the saints. And who are the saints? Who are the saints? All of us, right? To equip the saints, the whole church. And and so he gave the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints. And, And what's the assignment for the saints in our play? The saints are to receive that equipping, but not as an end in itself. So they can do what? So they can swing around here and boom, do the work of ministry. Right? Pastors and teachers are to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And when we all do our assignment right, the church is built up. The body of Christ is built up. How easy peasy is that, church? How easy peasy is that? The pastors and teachers are to equip the saints. The saints receive that equipping coming around here, boom, do the work of ministry, and the church is built up. How do we ever get that wrong? I mean, it's so simple, isn't it? How do we ever get that wrong? Well, let me count the ways. (laughs) Actually, the ways generally fit into about three different buckets. We're going to break down each of those for you. this This is how we mess up the play. There's one play. Here's the first breakdown. Pastors and teachers forget their assignment. 
Pastors and teachers forget that their primary assignment is to do what? Equip the saints. But what do they do? Well, the pastors and teachers, we kind of like doing the work of the ministry. Instead of being ministry multipliers, that's our assignment, we become primarily ministry doers, right? And you need to know this. Most pastors love to do the work of the ministry. It's in our hearts. We love to do that. And how many of you have ever heard the old expression, if you want something done right, do it yourself? Well, how many of you think that we're immune to that kind of thinking? Right? And so, so we come around and we do. And, and meanwhile, the saints are out here wondering what to do. The first breakdown occurs when the pastors lose sight of their assignment. Church, let me assure you that Pastor Allen, our, our lead pastor, is challenging our staff to make sure we remember our assignment. He wants us to focus on equipping the saints, becoming ministry multipliers, not just ministry doers. Thankfully, a CNMA pastor named John Minder understood his assignment well. Way back in 1937, Minder took a gifted 19-year-old apprentice under his wing. One Sunday, Pastor Minder was scheduled to preach at a small little church in his area. Sensing his apprentice was ready to take the next step, Minder told him, you're preaching tonight. (laughs) Well, the apprentice said, no, sir. (laughs) I've never preached before. Well, Minder said, you're preaching tonight, and when you run out, I'll take over. Now, let me ask you, could Pastor Minder probably have just more easily preached that message himself? Sure. But thankfully, his mentality was that of a ministry multiplier who understood his primary role was to equip the saints. And so it was that the prolific preaching ministry of the late Billy Graham was launched. Well, let's move on to to the second breakdown that occurs in our play. And that occurs... When both the pastor, teachers, and the saints just forget to finish the play. We never finish the play. So, it looks like this on the screen. The pastors and teachers come down here to equip the saints. The saints, they receive that equipping and everybody enjoys it so much that we just never leave and nobody ever does the work of ministry. Picture a football team that looks really good in the huddle. (laughs) But no one ever says, break, to go out and run the play. Instead, they just sit there arm in arm. In the church, it could look like a congregation that rarely does the work of ministry outside outside its own walls. Well, why is that? Well... Maybe it's because we get to enjoy the security in our own groups and being fed in our own Bible studies. And we forget the purpose so that the work of ministry can move forward. 
I'm posed with a question. If your church were to close its doors today, would anyone in your community notice? These churches would have to say nobody would notice. And church decades ago, people might have said that about ACAC. But thanks be to God, His Spirit has brought us to a place of serving in our community where I firmly believe today if ACAC were to suddenly close its doors, there would be weeping and mourning in the community around us. And we can give thanks to God for that. Well, a short while ago I mentioned the late Billy Graham's first steps as a gospel preacher. I want to fast forward that story 30 years from then. By 1968, Reverend Graham was an internationally renowned evangelist. And in that year, his team had settled on Pittsburgh as the site for one of his popular stadium crusades out in the old Pitt Stadium. Now, Graham's advance team always started the work of equipping local churches months in advance. And one of the churches that got involved with that 1968 event was a small Presbyterian church in Bellevue, a community not far from here. <clears throat> the main ask of the Graham advance team was for churches to help identify and train mature believers who, after the crusade, would personally visit and help any of the the thousands of people who typically responded to the gospel message at the, at the services to help them to, to grow in their faith. Well, a man named Harvey Barnes was a member of that little church, and Harvey wasn't content to stay in the huddle. And shortly after the crusade, he was given the name of a brash young businessman who also lived in Bellevue with his family. To the surprise of all who knew him, that young man had responded to Christ's invitation of forgiveness and salvation shared by Billy Graham. Harvey's visit and follow-up with the young man was timely for, for that man knew that his life had been changed, that Jesus had done something, but, but he didn't know what to do next. In the months and years that followed, Harvey Barnes became a trusted friend and mentor to that young man. In the process, Ron Santum's natural brashness was transformed into a holy boldness, such that scores of people are now following Jesus as the fruit of his witness. So pastors and saints need to do this work of equipping, but it's for a purpose. It's not an end in itself. It's so that the work of ministry can go forward. That's the second Here's the third way our play breaks down. Our our, our, the play breaks down when the saints forget their assignment and are content to be ministry consumers rather than ministry doers. Here's what it looks like on the screen. The uh, pastors and teachers equip the saints and some of the saints do this and get about the work of ministry. But others decide, hey, I'd rather be a consumer of ministry. It's more comfortable being a fan over here. And so we become fans cheering the team on instead of players on the field. And is it any surprise that 
the recent pandemic really accelerated that kind of thing because we all became consumers of ministry, fans on the sideline, right? And some of us just decided, hey, this is pretty comfortable out here, and never came back. Well, that's not very helpful, is it? You see, all of our gifts and talents, all of our time, all of those resources are needed on the field so that the work of ministry can move forward. All the saints are needed. Without those gifts and talents, we're something less than God intends us to be. We're like an eight-cylinder car that's sputtering along on six cylinders. The work of ministry belongs to the saints, to all the saints. That's the way it's drawn up in God's playbook. Well, I left our story telling you about a young man named Ron Sanum who came to Christ at the Billy Graham crusade in 1968. Let's, let's fast forward another 20 years in that story. In addition to helping many find faith through his witness, Ron's conversion also forever changed the trajectory of his family's future. All four of his kids came to faith in Jesus. And his middle child, Lynn, eventually settled on the north side with her husband and started attending ACAC. First, Lynn wasn't quite sure where her time and talents could best be used to do ministry. But she trusted the Lord to show her, and believing that a parked car is always the hardest to steer, she decided to put hers in motion. And she started volunteering where there were needs here at the church. And her first volunteer effort was in junior high ministry. Well, that felt a little too hot for Lynn. The next was working with college-age students, and that one honestly felt a little too cold. After a couple more efforts, Lynn found herself teaching five-year-olds in the kindergarten class on Sunday mornings. And the Lord confirmed to her heart that serving the kindergarten kids was just right. 28 years later, she's still teaching kindergarten as part of a great team of serving saints in ACAC Kids. How many of you have children who are among the hundreds who have come through that kindergarten class? I see some heads nodding out here. Quite a few of you have kids who have come to faith in Jesus in that class, including six children just this past school year alone. One young boy told his parents just before move up day into the first grade that if he happened to die, he wanted Miss Lynn to do his service. Now that's the work of ministry. Kids say the darndest things, don't they? Fortunately, many years later, that boy is still with us. Well, for those who haven't figured it out yet, Lynn is my beautiful wife. And the spiritual journey that began with Alliance Pastor John Minder and a young Billy Graham and continued through her father's salvation and the transformation in her home and now sees Lynn serving in ACAC Kids Ministry where her time and talents have been used to bless hundreds of our children. That journey is a multi-generational story of churches and people who ran the only play 
in the local church ministry playbook well. It's a story of pastors who equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's a story of saints who stepped outside the holy huddle to do the work of ministry. And it's a story of a woman who was helped to see this church built up by refusing to sit on the sidelines. Church, God has more for you than just you. Will your time and talents be found on the sidelines today? Or will you generously make them available for God to use on the field so that together we can carry forward this incredible, this incredible ministry of reconciliation with which we've been entrusted and we can see his church built up. Would you bow your heads with me to pray? Fathers, today we give you thanks that this ministry is entrusted to all of us. The work of ministry is entrusted to all of your saints. And God, I pray in this place it would be true that we follow that play well. That, Lord, you use your pastors and teachers here to be ministry multipliers. And that you use the time and the talents and the gifts of every saint in advancing the work of ministry in this place. And, and that, Lord, we would together would see your body built up here. That's our prayer. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you please stand for the benediction? Listen, as, as you leave today, the ushers will be at the door. They have these cards to hand out that, that would just help connect you with equippers, with pastors and teachers who want to equip you to do the work of ministry here. If you'd please take one of those and pray over it. We'd appreciate it. Church, receive the benediction. As you leave this place today, brothers and sisters, may the Lord himself bless you and enable you to use your time, talents, and treasures this week for his honor and his glory. Be a faithful servant. Be a faithful saint. Be a faithful ambassador for Christ this week. And have a great week serving the king. God bless you.